Well, it is that time of year again, uh, the time that students loathe and parents celebrate. It is time for kids to go back to school. To start off this morning, what I'd like to do is I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to raise your hand and keep it up if uh, you meet one of these following criteria, okay? Raise your hand if you have a child that is 18 years old or younger. Raise your hand and keep it up in the air, okay? Raise your hand if you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren that are 18 years old or younger. Raise your hand and keep it up. Raise your hand if you have a niece or a nephew that is 18 years older or younger. Uh, Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you are a coach, a Sunday school teacher, a youth small group leader, or if you have a neighbor who is 18 years old or younger. Okay, everybody's hand should be up. If not, then you're a hermit, okay? <laughs> I, say, I say this and I show that because all of us have some measure of contact with children, all right? Some of your kids, they might be up out of the house. You might have be in the grandchildren's stage. Uh, some of you might just have neighbors in your neighborhood who have kids, but all of us have some measure of contact with children. And I believe one of the greatest responsibilities we have as people is over our children. And I believe that God has given us a responsibility to lead our children in very specific ways. So to start off this morning, I'd like us to look at our scripture for the, for the day. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments... The regulations and the case laws that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you to follow in the land you are entering to possess, so that you will fear the Lord your God by keeping all of his regulations and his commandments that I am commanding you, both you and your sons and daughters, all the days of your life, and so that you will lengthen your life. Listen to them, Israel. Follow them carefully so that things will go well for you and so that you will continue to multiply exactly as the Lord, your ancestors God, promised you in a land full of milk and honey. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I'm commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around your house when you're out and about, when you're lying down, and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. This should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. The word of God for the people of God. We love our children, right? We love our grandchildren. We love, we love them. Uh, they, some of the, the best experiences, some of the greatest joys I receive are... Um, stories and encounters I have with my own kids, and I feel so privileged to work here with our youth at our church, and some of the, I just think it's a wonderful opportunity that I have, and I have some great memories of the students that I get to work with here. But let's be honest, sometimes they drive us crazy. Sometimes, sometimes our kids, our grandkids, sometimes they make us feel like we're losing our marbles, right? Uh, so every, every summer we do a uh, domestic mission trip with our middle school students. We do an international mission trip with our high school students. I remember a few summers ago, 
on our domestic mission trip with our middle schoolers. We were in Cherokee Nation, North Carolina, and we were working with an organization and uh, a gentleman who just a few weeks before we got there had had both of his legs amputated. And so we went there, we cleaned out his gutters, we uh, washed his house, we primed and put multiple coats of paint on his house. And as, as, as I was sitting there talking with him about how he was navigating this, this like big transition in his life, kind of the new ways he had to do things, he said one of the big things that he missed the most were the, the small things that used to be so simple in his life. And he said he really uh, found it difficult for him to be able to get out of his house and go to his mailbox to get his mail because his, the, the path that led to his mailbox, it was, it was just gravel, but over the years, weeds had, had grown over it and the gravel had sunken down, had been beaten down. It was just muddy and dirty whenever it mowed. And so I talked with the organization we were working with and I said, would it be possible for us to pour him a concrete sidewalk? And they said, sure, if you provide the labor, uh, we'll provide the material. And so I said, great, let's do it. And so we laid out the forms and uh, I, I asked, uh, I've, I've mixed concrete several times in Guatemala and there we don't have access to equipment as, as readily available as what we have here. And so whenever we mix concrete in Guatemala, it's you pour all the, all the, all the, the dry materials together, you kind of make like a volcano shape out of it, and then in that hole you pour water, and then you mix it with shovels, and then you create another volcano, and you, you mix more water in, so you mix everything by hand with shovels. I said, I'm in the United States of America. I want a concrete mixer. <laughs> Is there any way we could rent a concrete mixer? They said, sure, no problem. We'll rent you guys a concrete mixer. I said, this will be great. So they go get all the building supplies. They come back, and I notice they're missing one piece of key equipment. And I said, where's the concrete mixer? And they said, mm, we, could, we just couldn't find one. And they said, but we bought you two wheelbarrows. I said, oh, perfect, great. And so we mixed the concrete in the wheelbarrows and, one of the, and uh, poured the sidewalk. And one of my responsibilities was to be on my hands and knees for hours, smoothing it, making sure it looked great, uh, putting in the, the stress lines, doing all that. And if you've ever laid tile or if you've ever done something like that where you're on your hands and knees for, for a long time, it can, get, it, can get, it can be hard on your lower body. So I'm there smoothing everything out. It looks perfect. And I stand up to get some blood flowing back in my legs to get a drink of water. And I'm standing there and out of my corner of my eye, I see one of the middle school boys walking towards me. And he's not on his phone. He's not talking with anybody else. He's just in his own middle school boy world, not paying attention to what he's doing. And you know what he does. He walks right through that wet concrete, right? And so I look at him and I say, look what you just walked through. And he turns and looks at the concrete, and he turns and looks back at me, and he goes, oh, no. And I said, I'm going to go take a walk, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to have a conversation. Uh, we love our kids. We love our grandkids. We love our nieces and nephews. We love the neighbor kids, but sometimes they drive us crazy. Sometimes they make us feel like we're losing our marbles, right? And the way that phrase works with losing your marbles, a marble equates to a piece of your sanity, right? And so I want us to think about this morning about not just losing our marbles in terms of losing our sanity, but I want us to think of a marble as the weeks of influence that we have in the lives of kids, okay? Whether it's your own kids, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, your neighbors, those in your Sunday school class, whatever it might be, okay? 
weeks of influence in the life of your kids. And I want us this morning, the challenge for this morning is for us to stop losing our marbles and to start playing for keeps. Because we have from the time a kid is born, time a child is born, to when they turn 18 or, you know, uh, essentially, when they graduate from high school, there's 936 weeks that we have with them in our home. 936 weeks. And that's how many marbles are in this jar. 936. 936 weeks. And that can seem like a lot. I mean, that's almost 1,000, right? This jar is heavy, okay? It can seem like a lot. And especially those first few weeks when a child's born, Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's a miracle. Yes, it's amazing. And yes, it is absolutely exhausting when they're super young, right? They're running around all over the place or they're crying. They're not sleeping. It is exhausting. But as you all know, and as many of you tell me, parents that are further along in this journey than what I am, so I have Benaya, he is four, and Liliana, who is two. Those who are further along in this journey than me, they say, hey, I know it's stressful at this stage of life, but those weeks go fast, right? 936 weeks from when they're born to when they graduate from high school. And it does go fast because by the time they're nine years old, half of those weeks of influence are gone. Half. By the time they're nine, it's like, oh, I'm just starting to get the hang of this thing, right? Nine years old, half those weeks of influence are gone. You only have... 468 weeks before they graduate and move on, and then your greatest opportunity for influence is gone. When they're 16, turn 16, get their driver's license, 16 driver's license, 104 weeks left. There's 104 marbles in here. 104 weeks of influence to teach them how to safely navigate Atlanta, how to safely navigate the the highways, um, to learn how to be a defensive driver, just a few years before they start applying for, for colleges or uh, looking at trade schools for the workforce, 104 weeks left. School just started this past Thursday, and so I calculated it. And if your student, if your kid is in their senior year of high school, going in their senior year, 44 weeks until they graduate. 44 weeks. That isn't even, the marbles don't even touch, cover the bottom of this jar. 44 weeks of influence left. And the truth is that once they graduate, once they move on, things will never be the same. Yes, they'll come home, hopefully, uh, for holidays. Uh, they'll make phone calls. They will, they'll visit from time to time. But your time of influence will never be as significant as when they lived with you. And I don't share that with you to make you sad. I don't make, share that with you to um, make you regret any lost time that maybe you've had with your kids. I share this with you for this reason. Because when you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. I want you to go ahead and leave that on the screen. So the order of influence in a student's life. So there's this youth ministry guru, his name's Chap Clark, and other um, psychologists and sociologists and other people in his field, they agree with his conclusions, but the order of influence in a kid's life is this. In this modern era, in the year 2019, here's the order of influence in, a li in the life of a kid. Number one, 
is parents. Number one is parents. They have more influence in the life of a kid than anything else. Number two is a non-parental adult that is involved in the life of the kid, okay? A non-parental adult that is involved, heavily involved in the life of a kid. That could be a grandparent, that could be an aunt, that could be an uncle, that could be a neighbor, that could be a Sunday school teacher, that could be a pastor, a non-parental involved adult. Number three, the number third, the uh, third tier influence in the life of a student are their peers, and number four is media. Number four is media. Those are the top four. And here, here's the reality, is if those first two are strong, if a, if a student has a mom and a dad or a mom or a dad that are heavily involved in their life, that are leveraging their, their opportunities, their influence, if that kid also has a non-parental involved adult in their life, then the third and fourth tier, their peers and influence, don't have nearly the amount of influence as those top two. They can't, they can't combat that. But if a student does not have a mom and dad that are involved in their life, if they do not have a small group leader, a youth pastor, a grandparent, a neighbor that is heavily involved in their life, then their greatest influences are their peers and the media. We're trying to influence kids. We're trying to influence students to have a relationship with God, to be a Christian, to see the world the way that God sees the world, to embrace the truth of scriptures, to surround themselves with good community. But we cannot force them to do any of that. It's absolutely impossible. We can't force a person to have a relationship with God. We can't force them to be a Christian. We can't force them to embrace the truth of scriptures. We can't force them to see the world the way God sees the world. And we can't make them surround themselves with good community. But this is really important, so please hear this. We can create environments that influence them towards that. We can create environments that influence them towards that. So a few environments I want to talk about real quick. Number one is home environment. Home environment. Uh, Absolutely a dynamic opportunity, whether it's a, a good environment or whether it's a poor environment, that's going to highly influence the life of a kid. They're going to grow up and they're going to see, oh, that's how a husband treats a wife. Oh, that's how a husband, how, that's how a wife speaks to a husband. That's how a person deals with anger. That's, okay, that's how a person apologizes. That's how to be honest, even in difficult situations. They're going to look at that home environment, they're going to be shaped by it. Another environment that we can work to create to influence the life of a kid is our, our church environment. Our church environment. That's why I'm so, if you want to see me get fired up, it's about youth and children's ministry. It's because, because I, I see this on a regular basis. And I see as people get older, I see the outcomes of people having positive influence in their life and parents uh, resort, uh, using their opportunity positively. And I see what happens on, on, the, on the other side of things too. They got a children's ministry environment of creating a safe, fun, and loving environment for the kids youth ministry environment, help them navigate. I get them as sixth graders. They come in as sixth graders. They come in as kids, and they leave when they're 18. I get them as sixth graders, and they leave when they're 18. We help them navigate that transition from childhood to adulthood in a godly way. Think of school environments. 
school environments. I know some amazing teachers that are on fire for God and are not ashamed of it at all, at all, and they use their platform, they use their opportunity in the schools to influence others in the name of Christ. It's an amazing thing. And I feel so blessed to be part of a church that supports our local schools the way our church does, with the uh, school supply drive, with backpack buddies, with allowing me to be the, the chaplain of the Stockbridge High School football team, with doing Feed the Team, uh, with us helping out with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at, at two schools. We do a lot, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. We do a lot in our local schools, and with that, we can create school environments that can lead people to the ways of God. The next reason why I show you these marbles is when you see how much time you have left, you tend to make what matters matter more. You tend to be more intentional about leaving work early, about watching your kids' games, about how you spend your Saturdays, about driving them to school, helping them with their homework, going to church as a family, tucking them into bed and praying out loud over them, eating meals together, and I think about my parents, about how they use their opportunity to make what matters matter more. Some of you might think this is silly, but it's important to me. I think it's really neat. So to this day, I'm 35. Uh, to this day, I've never heard my mother or my father ever swear. Never. And we've been in some sticky situations. They've never let it slip. They've never let it fly. Not to this day. I've never heard my mother or my dad swear. Growing up in middle school, high school, elementary school, they never missed a single one of my football games. They never missed a single one of my baseball games. They came to everything. We went to church as a family three times a week. We went on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday night, whether I wanted to or not. We ate meals together on a regular basis. Uh, my, my parents were very on, into um, honoring the Sabbath day. My dad, he would not mow grass on Sundays. He wouldn't do any yard work. If there was any kind of extracurricular, any kind of club I want to be a part of, and I, and I came home really excited about it, hey, I really want to get involved in this. And they'd be like, oh, that's great. You know, when do they meet? When are the practices? When are the games? And if any of them were ever on Sunday, my parents were very apologetic, uh, very apologetic and said, sorry, uh, but in, in our house, in the Lauk's house, we honor the Sabbath day, and so we, you can't participate in that because of the things that take place on Sunday. Um, this one's funny, but I think it was cool too. I grew up going uh, deer hunting and rabbit hunting in Indiana, and my dad won't even let me hunt on Sundays. Uh, I'd, it'd be like, you know, a free day, get home from church, you still have some time, or in the evening to go hunting. My dad'd say, no, you're not going hunting today. Why? Well, it's time to, for us to spend time as, as a family, for us to grow in a relationship with God. And you know what, Chad? It's Sabbath for the animals too. Um, <laughs> I just, uh, all those things, they're just some random examples of things that I, that I thought about. But in those, in those opportunities, I feel like my parents made what matters, mattered more in the opportunity they have. And the last reason I'll show you these marbles is when you see how much time you have left, you tend to value what happens over time. You tend to value what happens over time. Each of these weeks, each of these 936 weeks, each of these weeks matter. This week matters, this week matters, this week matters, this one, this one. Each of these weeks matter, but collectively, all 936 weeks, 
they have an impact. All, all of them combined have a big point of influence. When you think about over time, what each of those weeks does in the life of a kid, I want you to think about this, about love over time in the life of a kid. Love over time. And love is not something that, especially when it comes to kids, um, they can, they can, uh, they can, how do I say this correctly? They can see when things are, are being truthful or not. They can see if what you're saying really matches up, okay? Uh, they, can, they can spot that a million miles away. Love is not something you just say to a kid once. It's something you have to do and show them time after time after time over the length of their childhood for them to know that, they, that you really love them. But love over time in the life of a kid helps them. It establishes worth in their life, establishes a sense of security in their life, establishes a sense of belonging. Think of words over time in the life of a kid, words over time. I, in my house, uh, so I don't know if you've ever read, read uh, Chapman's book, uh, Five Love Languages. If you haven't, I'd really, I'd really encourage you to. They also have a children's version of that, of understanding the, the love language of your child, which is great. Uh, so mine is words of affirmation. So I'm, I, I speak from my heart a lot. And so I, whenever, on, on a daily basis, I will tell my kids, I'm so glad I'm your dad. I have fun playing with you. I think you're so handsome. Look at you, Lily. You're so beautiful. I'm proud of you. When we speak those words into their life over a period of time, I tell my students, uh, so my middle schoolers and high schoolers on a regular basis, when we talk about understanding their identity, their identity of who they are in God, I tell them, I, my desire, my prayer for you is for you to be so confident in your identity in God that when somebody speaks contrary to that, you could laugh at them. For them to know that, no, I'm a child of God. No, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. No, I am made in the image of God. And so when anybody speaks something contrary to that, it could just roll off their shoulders because they are so grounded, so confident in who they are in God, right? Words over time in the life of a kid helps them formulate their identity. And this one, last one's really important too, a fun over time in the life of a kid. Because fun over time, when you have fun with your kid, it shows them that you like them, that you actually want to be with them, that they're not just an obligation to you, but they're someone you want to be around. I see, I see way too many guys that think, oh, the fun part, that's somebody else's responsibility. My, my job is just to come home and bring a paycheck. No, no, it's not. Um, fun over time, words over time. If you're not very articulate, Take the time, write it down, memorize a few phrases, and speak those words into life of your, your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, whatever it might be. If you're not very articulate, get articulate, because it means the world to the life of the kids. The hard thing is, is that you will only know a three-year-old... You only know a three-year-old as a three-year-old once because they become a four-year-old. And you only know them as a four-year-old once and they'll become a five-year-old. 
And then, as so many of you speak to me and tell me this on a regular basis, and then before you know it, week after week after week after week passes, and then before you know it, you're out of time. Your opportunities of influence are up. They're gone. Those key stages in the life of a kid are no for your opportunity to influence them are no longer gone. We have a limited amount of opportunities to invest in the people around us, invest in the lives of the kids around us. Collectively, these weeks have influence. They have power. And the really powerful thing is that if we do this thing right, then what we instill in our kids will then be taken and instilled in the kids that come behind them. And that's what's called a legacy. This is the opportunity you have to invest in your child, your grandchild, your nephew, your niece, your student, your neighbor. Don't miss it. Your weeks are numbered. Your time is limited. Don't lose your marbles, but play for keeps. Please bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for this opportunity to reflect on the responsibility that you give us over our children. God, you know that none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect parents. None of us are perfect aunts, uncles, grandparents, neighbors. None of us are perfect. But God, we pray that you would help us in our imperfection to point our kids to your perfect love and to your perfect grace. May we faithfully do our part and may we trust in you to do your part. May we as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, teachers, may we create environments that reflect your kingdom. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.